And we come to know these truths about our God through His Word. And so let me invite you to open up the Scriptures with me this morning to the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. And as we open up to this portion of the Bible, any uh, first through fifth graders are welcome to gather at this time out in the foyer for the beginning of uh, Treehouse, our children's worship gathering. And as they uh, gather to hear uh, the Word of the Lord, so we stay to hear the Word of the Lord. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Be looking specifically at verses 13 through 16, primarily focused on verse 13 today. But we've been walking through this, this portion of the Bible, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, looking at Jesus' words, his famous sermon, his famous instructions. You know, anytime systemic abuse or corruption uh, occurs in human history, it's uh, appropriate for us to ask, where was the church? Where was the church? How did uh, the people of God respond? What did Christians do uh, to confront or to curb the spread of evil? Consider Nazi Germany in the 1930s where Adolf Hitler uh, gained the support of the masses and carried out horrific racism, uh, bigotry, and cruelty, putting pressure even on many Christian leaders and, and ministers to, to look the other way uh, or to face retaliation. While many ministers in Germany caved to the pressure and looked the other way, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, refused to be silent. He kept on preaching the pure gospel, calling evil what it was, calling evil evil until he was kicked out of his own pulpit and later... Uh, Later, turning down opportunities to, to flee to safety abroad, to flee to, to England or America, Bonhoeffer believed that his country desperately needed Christian influence if it was to survive Hitler's tyranny and rebuild after war. And so he remained there. Bonhoeffer remained in Germany and he began uh, training pastors underground, calling Christians to follow Christ even in the face of imprisonment or death. And death it was for him, for he died. Sentenced to death at just 39 years of age, Bonhoeffer was hung one week before the Allied liberation. But the salty effects of his service to Jesus Christ live on. His most famous work, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes, he said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call of the Christian. A community of Jesus which, which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow. Piercing words, Bonhoeffer's life, words that he lived out, words that were built upon Jesus' words. Where did he get such a message? He got it from, from Christ right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 13, and so I invite you to hear from Christ this morning. In fact, as you find your place there, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Oh God, help us now. Teach us now. Instruct us now that we might hear these words of Christ and be shaped and changed, be transformed by them. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Jesus says you are salt. You are light. Two pregnant metaphors highlighting the function of believers in this world. Images that together suggest Christ intends, Jesus intends to use his disciples, his followers to be distinct from the world and through their distinctiveness to influence the world for his eternal kingdom. Now, this point in the sermon, it's quite clear that Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. He is speaking to his followers. He's he's speaking to believers, but he's doing so with the multitudes on his mind. But the crowds in the background, Jesus looks at his disciples, those with faith in him, and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. It's an emphatic you in the original language of the New Testament. It's as if Jesus is saying you and you alone are the salt of the earth. So Jesus moves from giving marks or characteristics of Christ's followers and the Beatitudes. This is what it looks like. Uh, to submit to the king, to be part of his kingdom. It means to be poor in spirit. It means uh, to depend on him. It means to be broken over your sin. He shifts from, this is what my people look like in the beatitude, uh, Beatitudes to the function of, of his followers, of his people, of Christians in the world. If we boil down the theme of this section into one Word, the theme of these two metaphors into one word, it would be this, influence. Influence. By saying, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus is saying, you are my plan to influence the earth for good and for God. Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world, sent to the world, but not to love the world. There's a presupposition here that the world is dark and it's in decay and it's decaying and darkening. There's hate, there's neglect, there's abuse, there's hostility, fighting and war. But Jesus says his people, his disciples are not only to be characterized by radical kingdom virtues that he's just laid out, but that we are to have a radical impact upon the world. Jesus says to his people, those saved by his grace, he says that his people are to be Salty saints, salty saints and salty saints are not secret saints. Salty saints are not secret saints. Now, saint, we're not talking about a special classification of like super Christians uh, who've been uh, given that title because of their uh, particularly uh, lofty virtues throughout Christian history. No, we're talking about believers. Saint is a word for, for all those that have been forgiven of their sins. Cleansed by the blood of Christ, identifying with him. Jesus' message here is for every believer, every single Christian. He doesn't say become the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. 
Of course, we, we use salt for flavor. But in the ancient world, salt was a precious commodity, a symbol of purity and a source of preservation. So far before modern refrigeration, salt was used to kill bacteria responsible for spoilage rubbed into meat to slow corruption. In fact, in the Roman world, salt was so highly valued that Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt, which is why we have the phrase, he's not worth his salt. See, salty saints are not secret saints. Because secret saints don't influence the world for good and for God. Salty saints don't retreat to the monastery, but they engage the world. Jesus' call to be salt isn't a call to a shouting match or a protest or campaigning, but a call to Christian character. That's what this is about, a call to follow Jesus, a call to be poor in spirit, broken over sin, dependent upon God, hungry to know Him, ready to show mercy, to promote peace and endure persecution because our hearts have been captured by Him. Jesus wants to use you. That's what He's saying here. You are His plan. I am His plan. We are the Savior's plan. All of us. Are you salty? Are you distinctive? Our presence in the world should affect the world, a world that's in moral decay. The world's in moral decay. It's in moral decay. It's corrupt. It's depraved. It's evil. It's perverse. And of course, to say that the earth is in moral decay is to say the inhabitants of the earth are in moral decay. The people of the earth in rebellion against God. And newsflash for all of us, despite all the incredible scientific discoveries of recent centuries, despite marvelous technological advances, despite celebrated medical gains, and despite reformations and revolutions, the world's not getting better. The world's in rebellion against Almighty God and will remain that way until Jesus himself returns and conquers the evil one once and for all, and establishes his eternal kingdom. I read a news article yesterday uh, that was based on a recent Pew Research study, and the title of the article in NPR was, uh, was America's Christian Majority is on Track to End. Perhaps you saw that headline this week, and it was casting back into 1972 when 90% of Americans claimed to be Christians and saying... Moving ahead another 50 years, by the year 1970, uh, that's going to be less than 50% was the thrust of the article. So in a span of 100 years, 90% Christian to less than 50% Christian. A a movement uh, away from identifying with with Christ. But even so, the Bible is clear, Jesus is clear that we're we're to have an impact on that. That we're to slow the process of drifting from submission to Christ and knowledge to Christ until then Jesus plans to use us that's what he's saying here to use sinners saved by his grace weak and wounded people whom he calls his people to slow corruption here in other words Jesus has chosen to use 
Christians to slow the world's decay. Jesus has chosen to use Christians to slow the world's decay. Not so much you individually or me individually, but us collectively from every era of Christian history, from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue collectively. You see, the earth's in decay. It's not getting better. But Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of Meadowbrook, the salt of Broken Bow and Sunny Meadows, the salt of Eagle Point and of Herdmont and Corporate Drive of Oak Mountain High School, UAB and Southern Company, and the list could go on. You are God's plan. We are his plan. The church is the Savior's plan to show his goodness and his glory and to reveal that he alone saves souls, transforms hearts and satisfies. Do you believe that? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And will only ever function according to his plan if, like Bonhoeffer, we unashamedly follow Christ in the public square. You see, the New Testament knows nothing of secret saints, of private believers. Secret saints look like the world. Same priorities, same practices, same pursuits, same dreams, desires, and ambitions. But salty saints are characterized by distinct dreams, different priorities, and unexplainable practices. Can we sing about that just a moment? Joy in the midst of chaos, peace in the midst of storms, humility in moments of recognition, conviction over sin, sacrifice for the poor, love for one's neighbor that flows from love for God himself. Remember Jesus being asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? What's the, what's the most important one? Jesus responds, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I think taking Jesus' response there, his emphasis there, and coupling it with what he says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it's as if Jesus is saying, you can't love God first and your neighbor second and not be noticed by a world that by and large doesn't love God or neighbor much at all. And though many may oppose you, that's what the previous section was about, Jesus says, though many may insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, there are going to be some, some others who notice what I've done in you, and they are going to be drawn to me through your way of living. He would say it this way, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We got to witness believer's baptism just a few minutes ago. Mary Catherine Sweat declaring before others what Christ has done in her life. That Jesus has rescued her, that he has saved her. That's what baptism is. It's a profession of faith in Christ, acknowledgement of who he is and what he's done in her life before other believers in the church. There's also an acknowledgement, an ongoing acknowledgement and profession of faith in Christ day by day by day, week after week, month after month, year after year by the way that we live in the world. A life that professes that our faith is in 
Jesus Christ. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, if you lose your distinctiveness from the world, if you cease acting like Christians, like those who know their sins are forgiven by the grace of God, then your God-given function to be in the world but not of the world, sent to the world but not to love the world, ceases to have the God-intended effect upon the world. And when it comes to their God-given function to witness to the world concerning the glory and grace of God, Jesus says they're no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Probably a, a reference to the impure salt derived from deposits around the Dead Sea that could indeed lose its savoring properties. No longer good for preserving, no longer good for flavoring, simply thrown out along the way, used as gravel along the path. One commentator, Charles Quarles, says, The hypocrisy of those who do not practice what they preach does lasting harm to one's Christian witness. Jesus taught that professing disciples whose lives are characterized by impurity will not only have ineffective ministries, but also... It will have counterproductive ministries. Pastor Phil Newton says, Without Christian character and conversation, Christians are worthless to the society in which God has placed them. And so if Jesus' people appear to chase after all the same idols as the rest of the world, the same riches, the same pleasure, the same comforts and popularity and entertainment, if Jesus' people watch all of the same movies, enjoy all of the same festivities, speak in the same manner, seeking true happiness and hope and achievement or status or education or sports or politics or any other pursuit above and beyond life in Christ, then our influence upon the world for His kingdom is lost. And the preserving influence that Christ intends to fulfill through us has faded away. You see, because of God's transformative work in our hearts, we're to be different. Different set of priorities. Different set of ambitions. Different set of practices. To illustrate, I'll just make mention a couple of my own kids have a particularly sweet tooth. Anybody got a sweet tooth? I got a sweet tooth. I love dessert. But occasionally it seems like they they eat what they've got to eat so that they could eat dessert, right? Something better, tastier, satisfying in the moment. But I, I do have one child um, who occasionally has made mention uh, that he's not really a dessert guy. I, he'd ra- and this is honest truth. He would rather many times have meat. Like he wants chicken nuggets. Or bacon. He went through a bacon phase. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. My Paxton, my middle child, a few years ago when we were having uh, a six o'clock men's breakfast on a monthly occasion before church, that was his motivation to get up and come with me to men's breakfast because he could get bacon and all the bacon he wanted. Now, I, I don't know that he was particularly motivated or is motivated by good intentions. I don't think it's because he knows that, you know, meat sort of sticks with you longer than ice cream. But it's a different set of taste, a different palate, a different set of priorities. And, and 
such a more significant and greater way. Believers in Jesus Christ would be marked by a different set of tastes. A different set of priorities. Sinclair Ferguson says, cease to be different and we cease to be Christians. Secret saints look like the rest of the world, but salty saints are not secret saints, for their Christ-like character becomes known and noticed by those around them. Noticed, not just by those in the church, but those in the world. Teammates, classmates, neighbors, co-workers, friends, friends' parents, even strangers. So even for us, at a moment like this, a season like this in our church's life, as we, as we, Meadowbrook, think about who we're going to nominate to serve as deacons, spiritual office in the life of the church, leading servants in the life of the church, let's prayerfully approach that process and seek the Lord and make sure that we're, we're nominating folks that are salty saints whose life reflects that they know and love the Lord, and they're committed to Christ. And of course, Jesus isn't just speaking to deacons. He's speaking to all disciples here. Jesus has chosen his followers, all of them, to be his heralds, speaking the gospel truth to a dying world, the glorious news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Christ has also chosen his followers, every single one of them, to slow the decay of a depraved world by giving our attention, yes, the fullness of our lives to our Savior and to his eternal kingdom. And as we do, church, as we do, Jesus promises. He promises that the eyes of some, not all, but some, will see the distinction And be drawn to our God. Meadowbrook, let's not miss the significance of what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't say, I've chosen the best. Or the brightest. The sharpest. The most gifted. The richest. The smartest. No. Jesus says to every believer, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. God has chosen to use you. Every single one of you to spread his kingdom upon the earth. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. He would say, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Called to faith in Christ. Think, Think about what you were. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Perhaps Jesus is implying that just as salt is a small, common substance found just about everywhere, yet beneficial for every society, so Jesus uses the small things and the small people, like you and like me, planting and sending ordinary followers into the world to be in the world but not of the world, sent to the world but not to love the world, that Christ might do His work and spread His fame and grow His kingdom through the faithfulness of folks just like you and me. Brother, sister, are you salty where God has put you? Are you salty where God has placed you? Do people watch your life? When people do watch your life, do they see Jesus? Are you salty in the workplace? Are you salty in the community, in the stands, on the sports Filled in the grocery store and wherever you go, do those around you notice something different about you? Jesus says, follow me. And they will. So friend, are you following Christ? Are you following our blessed Savior? And if there are places in your life that you're not, What's he calling you to do with those places in response to this message? Church, let's be salty saints, believing that our Lord desires to use us to shape this world for his kingdom. Amen. Oh, God, would you help us? And, oh, God, we are dependent upon you. God, just as we are dependent upon you for salvation, just as we are dependent upon you for forgiveness of sins, for right standing with you, for reconciliation and restoration, just as we are dependent upon you for breath, Lord, so we are dependent upon you and your Spirit's work of transformation in our lives in order to rightly live for you. And so, God, we acknowledge this morning that it is because of your grace that we have right standing with you. Lord, that it is because of your mercy, it is because of your gospel, and it is because of your kindness and patience and provision for us that we can be called your children, citizens of your kingdom. And, Lord, we acknowledge that we need your grace in order to rightly reflect who we are in Christ. So, oh God, sustain us, stir us, draw us again and again and again to you. Believe in your gospel, enabled and empowered, equipped by your Spirit's presence and ongoing work in our hearts that we might indeed be the salt of the earth. And, oh God, we, we thank you for the privilege We're humbled by your desire to use us. God, would you strengthen us? Would you equip us? Would you lead us to repent 
where we are not living lives that reflect your truth. And God, would you sustain us and use us and stir us to joy in Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.